Welcome to Alive this morning. I want to say thank you so much for being here this morning. And uh, welcome especially to everyone in the chapel at Pleasant View, following along online. And uh, I am so excited about this series for a number of reasons. One of the reasons I'm excited about this series is it's made an impact on my life. Um, but I'm supposed to say that because I'm a pastor and I work here. But what, another reason I'm excited is I've heard a number of you all say that this series has been especially impacting. That when we're honest as believers, believers about the stuff that's just not easy and not fun and not pretty, uh, it kind of creates some safe space to have discussions about life when it's not going too well. And so that's something I'm excited about. And we're going to get into some, uh, some more intensity kind of, but I wanted to start out kind of slow this morning, warm us up, especially for students. I need to apologize. We're going to do a little bit of math this morning, but not too much. But I just want to warm us up and I want to see if we're tracking this morning. So we're going to start with a, kind of a softball pitch here. So I want to I test this out. Can anybody tell me what the answer to this equation is going to be, if I remember to get us there? There we go. Let's hear it. 1 plus 2 equals 3. Yes. 1 for 1. All right. 6 plus 25. What is it? 31. I wasn't sure about that one. Good job, guys. All right. Here's a throwback for some people that may have watched a weird show back in the day. You plus me equals... Who said that? Over there somewhere. You, yeah, you plus me equals us. I think that was Dr. Voss. Good job. Um, so this is some simple arithmetic, and it's going to come back into play this morning, I promise. And that wasn't very hard for most of us. Some of us may have struggled a little bit. I, I'm a little slow in the morning. This is going to come back, I promise. And this is about the lightest thing we're going to do for the first few minutes. We're going to get into a guy's life who had some intensity. He had a lot of intensity. And when we talk about the heat... We're talking about a guy that understood the heat deeply. And so before we get into kind of this person's life and learn what we can from, from what he's taught us, I want you to understand something about um, the man we're going to talk about. The man we're going to talk about is Moses. And Moses lived uh, what we believe was about 3,500 years ago. And sometimes for me, when I hear about 3,500 years ago, I feel like it's very disconnected from reality for me. But just for some context, uh, the Sphinx, which still exists and sits in about the same land that Moses occupied for much of his life, is about a thousand years older than Moses. So what we can physically see and touch with our hands is older than the story we're going to talk about. Unless you watch a lot of UFO documentaries, then we have no idea how old the Sphinx is. But about this guy Moses, early on in his life, he was born into a, not only a season of heat that he would live into, he was born into a season of heat that his people were in the midst of. And he was born after a long series of events in a place that wasn't his actual birthplace, birthright home. Long story short, the people of God that he had committed himself to, God said, I'm committed to you, I'm going to be with you, had found themselves in a moment of heat themselves. And so they were in the midst of famine in this whole region, and God sent the, the forefather, the great-granduncle of some sort to Moses, named Joseph, to this place called Egypt. And in this place called Egypt, actually God blessed Joseph and allowed him to bless the country in return. And so what eventually happens is Joseph brings his whole family, God's people, about 75 people at that time, into this place of Egypt to be rescued and saved. And this Pharaoh, who actually is helped out by, by Joseph and his family, he loves them, he gives them a place of honor, and they thrive even in the midst of a tough circumstance. A little while passes, and actually God's people are blessed so much in this place that they multiply in number, and they're becoming a huge, huge group of people. So much so that a new Pharaoh comes along, and he looks at this group of people, and he gets nervous. And the Bible says he actually thinks to himself, what's going to happen if these people actually decide that they're not so good with me anymore? 
What if they join up with my enemies? What if they join and, uh, and form an alliance with people I don't agree with? I better make sure that doesn't happen. So he actually takes to all of these people, God's people, and he actually enslaves them and he makes them work and he has them build all kinds of granaries and, and storehouses and, and places of, of kind of almost like honor, temples and all these places of, under this vigorous, ruthless rule. The Bible says that God's people can't be held down, though, because God continues to bless them, and they grow and grow and grow and grow and grow to the point where he gets so nervous that Pharaoh says, listen, enough's enough. I can't have this happening, and he actually makes a a terrible declaration. He says, any girl that's born, let her live. Any boy that's born, throw him into the Nile. Basically, kill him. It's at this window of history, before the Sphinx is, or after the Sphinx is about a thousand years old, in the midst of this season of heat, that Moses is born. And through a, a crazy circumstance, God, God ordained strain of events. He's, his life is saved. He's floated down the Nile by his mom in a little baby boat. And eventually, ironically, Pharaoh's own daughter rescues him and raises him. And there's so much to this story, I can't possibly talk about all of it today, but Moses is raised in the palace even though he's Hebrew. He shouldn't be alive, and yet he's actually in a lavish place of splendor. He's educated, he's fed, he understands customs and rituals. The Bible says he was intelligent and well-spoken. And as you can imagine, this might have created a little bit of strange identity crisis for Moses. Because here he is, a constant reminder to every mother that lost a son that not every mother lost a son. And every time he looks out and he sees the heat that his, his birthright people are going through, his blood relatives are going through, I'm sure it affects him, but all, also he can just kind of jump in a chariot and go back home. And so as, as Moses is growing up, the Bible says it was about 40 years of being raised as an Egyptian, even though he was a Hebrew by birth. And one day Moses gets into this weird zone, and the Bible says he wants to go see what his people are experiencing. He walks out and he sees a Hebrew, a brother in blood, being attacked and berated by an adopted brother in Egyptian. And he gets so angry that he actually, in a fit of rage, takes the life of this Egyptian slave master and tries to cover it and buries this man's body in the sand. And I don't know what happened, but the next day I think he wanted to see more. And so the Bible says he went out and he looked out on, on his people again. And this time instead of an Egyptian and a Hebrew, he sees two Hebrews fighting. And he thinks, oh my goodness, you've got to be kidding me. You guys are on the same team. How are you going to fight? And Moses, attempting to intervene and come to, the, come to the rescue of his people, gets a pretty chilly response. One man, the, a Hebrew, one of the two, said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and thought exactly what I would have thought because I'm not that complicated. If you've seen any of the commercials, this is kind of a Captain Obvious moment. It's this moment where you you realize something that's so simple and yet so profound all at once. What I did must have become known. Yes, Moses, what you did was absolutely known. But he was just called out. And I love the Bible for this. It included this statement. It included this Captain Obvious moment. Because here we see a person who is not a hero we're waiting for. It doesn't seem like a genius, even though it says he was pretty smart. He doesn't have it all together. He didn't actually put a plan or a strategic implementation of his life 
mission into place before he did all this. He actually just, in a fit of rage, killed a guy, tried to hide it, then went to be a good guy again and realized, oh, no, this is all catching up to me, right? And this is actually kind of clumsy, and I get that because sometimes I'm kind of clumsy in my life, right? And Moses is faced with the fact that instead of making friends with his people, he actually has enemies on all sides, and he does what most of us would have done. The Bible says that when Pharaoh heard about this, He wasn't happy, obviously. He tried to kill Moses. So Moses' adopted grandfather comes after him because of what he's done. But Moses, like we talked about last week, he runs. He taps out. And I can't really blame him for it. He's a fugitive right now. In a quick instance, 40 years of his life are all kind of shot. Moses leaves Egypt. He runs from the adopted home that he's been given. He runs far away to a different land. And he actually, the Bible says he marries somebody. He has a son. And when he goes to name his son, he reveals where his heart is and what's going on in his life, which is often the case back in this day. And he names his son, I'm a foreigner in a foreign land, which is not a catchy name, but it did inspire an 80s rock band. And I wonder if maybe Moses just wanted to know what love was. That was terrible, I'm sorry. Moses spends 40 years of his life leading up to this moment where he gets caught as a fugitive because of murder. The Bible actually says he spends the next 40 years of his life as a fugitive in a foreign land, so much so that he names his son after his life experience. This is a long, long, long season of heat. I get nervous when there's like 40 minutes where I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Here Moses is with two periods of 40 years trying to figure out why in the world his life has gone the way it's gone. And in this long season of heat, I wonder how often Moses found himself looking over his shoulder wondering if his past was going to catch up and ambush him. And as he's taking responsibility for actually the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, which inspired another whole band situation, He's following these sheep all through the desert, and he's leading them, and he's doing this for 40 years. Something incredible happens. Moses, tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, priest of Midian, then he led his flock to the far side of the wilderness, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames from fire from within a bush. That's weird. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, and again, I totally get Moses, because if, if this is a Captain Obvious moment number two, I, I, I understand. I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. He's a simple man, herding sheep in the desert, not very complicated. There's a bush. It's on fire. It doesn't burn up like most shrubs. I'm going to go see it. I feel like I get Moses. But as he goes over there to see what's happening... And as he investigates scientifically what's happening in a place that he's actually become pretty familiar with, he says, when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to take a look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Things just got super weird. From confusing and somewhat strange, an identity crisis, a big move, now things just got super strange. And I want you to pay attention to this phrase because we're going to come back to it. Moses' response to God calling from a burning bush to him in the middle of the desert is, here I am. Here I am. God responds, don't come any closer. 
In fact, take off your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. That, in and of itself, has a ton of depth to it. But what we need to know about this is basically, Moses found himself at a mountain. At a place that looked a lot like everywhere else. Only when God addresses him, and he says, listen, Moses... I want you to take your shoes off. What he was saying is, Moses, what we're about to have is an encounter between you and the God of your deepest identity. I'm not the God of of your adopted father. I'm not the God of your adopted people. I'm not the God of some force of nature. I'm not the God of a place or geographical region. In fact, I'm not even the God of this mountain, even though I'll get credit for that. In fact, I'm the God of this moment, but I'm also the God of your birth father. The deep identity question you have in your heart, Moses, yeah, I'm that God that you've heard legends about. And I'm the God who has a long track record of commitment to your people, the people that you wanted to save. And we're about to have an encounter that's going to change your life forever. You're going to want to remember this. Take off your sandals. You're in the presence of something and someone different. Moses obviously gets the weight of this moment and probably the weight of maybe some guilt and shame because he can't even look at God. He hides his face. This is a life-altering encounter. The Lord says something after this that baffles me. As he's just identified who he is to Moses and the place he's standing, he reveals a massive piece of his heart and his character. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out. I'm concerned about their suffering. Now, I don't know what's happening in this room right now. And I don't know what everybody's facing right now, but I would guess there may be one or two people that are in the room this morning just to hear that statement from God. I see what you're experiencing. I've heard your cries. I'm concerned with it. I'm emotionally impacted by what you've experienced and what you've been through. I have a distinct memory in my life. It stands out to me. I love lakes and rivers and streams and oceans. I I just love being next to bodies of water. I think everybody does. I had this special place that I would go when I lived in Pennsylvania my first couple years in ministry. And I can't get into all the details because it would take way too long. But 2010 was a pretty rough year for me. And I found myself often beside this body of water, finding peace and gentle stillness, just listening. One day I remember all of that kind of just crashing around me because I was not peaceful and still, and I wasn't feeling gentle. In fact, I was feeling pretty upset. And I did that classic movie thing where you're like yelling at the sky, because for some reason, when you're angry at God, he's like right there, and you just yell at him, right? He's up in the sky, and you yell at him. And I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. I was actually just from the bottom of my heart and with my lungs on fire yelling, asking God this very question. God, do you even see this? Are you actually aware of what's taking place here? God, is there any part of you that's even remotely concerned with what's taking place in my life right now? And I wasn't asking God, will you make this easy? I wasn't asking God, can you fix all of this? I just desperately wanted to know, God, are you even aware of what's happening in my life. 
And if you've been at that point in your life, there's some deep, desperate part of you that just wants to know there's a God out there who cares. And in the midst of an 80-year period of heat, God says to Moses, not only are you experiencing something radically different right now, and not only am I God, I'm this kind of God. I'm the God who sees, who hears you, and who actually has genuine concern for you, and not only for you, for your people. And I love that, because what it just said to Moses potentially is, hey Moses, I don't like how you went about it, but you remember all of your concern for your people, the way it wrenched your heart, the way you had to do something to change something in the life of the people you cared about? Well, guess what? Me too. Me too. So, now, go. (laughs) So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And this is crazy because it feels to me like it's all a really quick transition. Like God had an agenda for this meeting, and he was accomplishing it pretty quickly. When God wants to deliver his people, he calls out a leader, handpicked and chased down. Moses is God's man for the job. And Moses, in response, says exactly what I think most of us would say in this moment. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Up until this time, this all sounds great, God, but who am I? God, I don't even know who I am. Like, literally, who am I? What am I supposed to do with my life? I have identity issues. I'm not a leader. I'm, I'm just a, I'm a shepherd. God, don't you know, I'm not even supposed to be alive. I shouldn't even be here. I'm kind of a weird case right now. I have two sets of people who both claimed me at one point who probably both don't want to see me right now. My adopted grandfather wants me dead. My own family probably doesn't even know me. I'm a fugitive in one of the greatest empires of all time. I probably don't smell that awesome. Just on a logistical note. I'm possibly having hallucinations in the desert right now. Or even scarier, what I think just happened actually happened and God spoke to me from a bush. So I'm not sure I'm your guy. You're wrong about me, God. I'm not successful enough, smart enough, cleaned up enough, rich enough, good looking enough, strong enough. I've messed up too much. I've missed too many opportunities. And when you put it that way, honestly, when I look at Moses' life, I'm kind of like, yeah. You have a point, Moses. On paper, this really isn't adding up. Why would God choose you to do this massive thing that he's called you to do? And I kind of expect God to listen to all this and think, huh, I am sovereign, but you make a great point. And yet, once again, God responds to Moses in a way I never would have expected. He doesn't respond like a lawyer refuting every point. He doesn't lash out on him in anger for being disrespectful or insubordinate. He doesn't lecture him. He doesn't tell him exactly why. It's good. He just says one simple line. And God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. How's this all going to work, God? Don't worry about it. I will be with you. I will be with you. I had a powerful reminder of that this week. And I'm going to tell a kid's story because I still have young kids, and I'm going to get all the mileage I can out of these kids. I was swimming with my wife and my two kids, and my son is completely crazy. 
He's one and a half, and if, he, if he's around water at all, we have a flotation device on him because he is going to get in the water, and he's going to sneak and jump, and it's out of control. It's a lot of fun, but it's out of control. My daughter, on the other hand, is almost four. No, she is four. Nice. She's four. <laughs> it's been a long week. It's <laughs> and she, is, she likes water, but she's a little more hesitant. And so when she gets into water, she's kind of clinging to us. And So I was super surprised when the other day she said, Daddy, can I jump from the edge into the water? I said, yeah, baby, that would be awesome. And she said, Daddy, I'm a little, I'm a little scared. I, I don't think I can keep myself up. I said, oh, no, don't worry. You jump to me. I'll catch you. And she said, are you sure you're going to catch me? And I said, Emma, have I ever dropped you before? And in my mind, I thought, have I ever dropped her before? And I'm praying, God, please don't let her remember a time where I've dropped her. She's young. Just erase that memory. She'll be fine. But it took me zero effort to say to Emmeline with all of my heart, I will catch you no matter what. In fact, I will slip and drink a gallon of water in the process of throwing you back to your mom if I have to. I've got you. I've got you. I'll be with you. And for her, that was just enough. And she was still kind of shaky and her knees were kind of buckling and she was on the edge and she was still a little nervous. But that was enough to push her over the edge and she jumped. And I know you're wondering, I actually caught her. It was awesome. It was a good moment. As a father, I get this, this sentiment here because I, it, it wouldn't help her to explain the physics of the situation that she weighs 33 pounds and I'm not huge, but that's not a lot. It wouldn't help her to tell the history of people jumping into pools and being caught by their parents. That wouldn't convince her. What convinced her in the moment was that she could trust me because of my relationship with her. She could trust that I'd be with her and I wouldn't let her down. God knew exactly what to speak to Moses' heart in a moment like this. And Moses, like most of us, is still a little bit unsure of how this is all going to go down. And so Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites, I'm going to do all the stuff you said. And I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to, to you. And, and they ask me, what's his name? Then what am I supposed to tell them? And Moses is saying, hey God, do you remember last time I tried to intervene and I tried to save my people, what they asked me? And he said, hey, who, basically who made you boss? And I'm kind of afraid that if I do everything you tell me I'm supposed to do and I go to them and they ask me who made you boss, I'm not going to know what to say. And God reveals something else to, to Moses in this moment. I'm here, and this is a special moment. I'm the God of your deepest ancestral questions. I'm, I'm the God who sees you. This is the kind of heart I have towards you. And then let's zoom out a little bit more. Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're say to, to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And our language is a little bit lacking to understand this concept, but what we just heard God say is basically this. God says to, to Moses, listen, you were raised in a place that taught you about the God of this and the God of that and the God of water and the God of the Nile and the God of crocodiles and the God of frogs and the God of the sun and the God of all of these things. And I want to tell you right now in this moment that when you go talk to your people, you tell them, I am has sent you. I am basically meaning I was always without any help. I am currently with no need for any advocate. And I will be because I feel like it. <laughs> I am. 
I don't need anybody to tell me who I am. I don't need anyone to support me in who I am. I don't need anybody to convince me of who I am. God's saying to him, listen, I am self-sufficient, self-sustaining, all-powerful, sovereign, in charge. You tell them that. You tell them that's my name. And I'm on the scene now. You remember earlier when Moses said to, to God, when he called from the bush, here I am? I love that heart and attitude in Moses. In the midst of all of his questions, he said, here I am. And that's so crucial. And here's the dynamic between God and us that I think we can learn from Moses, just one of them. Our job is to say, here I am, before we have all the facts. And God's response is, no, 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 no. <laughs> Thanks for showing up, but no, here I am. What you bring to the table is really good because I want you involved, but what I bring to the table is everything necessary. What you mean when you say, here I am, is I'm willing, let's do this. What I mean when I say, here I am, is everything needed for all the heavy lifting has just arrived in the room, and it's going to be okay. And this is a big deal because I think for many of us, It's our insecurity and our fear and our anxiety, feelings of inferiority, guilt, shame, or regret, the things that cause us to tap out in the first place. Those are the things in our past that we bring up in response to God's calling in our life. And we look at our past often, and we see those 40 years like Moses confusing, regret-filled, defined by big mistakes. And we add in our present heat the circumstances we don't like, the discomfort, the frustration, the continued confusion, us tapping out, guilt and shame and regret. And we add those two things up just like the simple equations earlier. And we determine we can't possibly have the future God's promised. The general future God's promised to everybody, no, that's not mine. The specific future, I feel like God's spoken to me. Now that can't possibly happen. Maybe back in the day I could have done it, but I've just made too many mistakes. There's no way. There's no way that's still possible. But I am is on the scene. And that's way more important than what I bring to the table. And it's interesting. When I look at what Moses is being asked to do and I think about what he said to God and all the reasons why he shouldn't be used and on paper he's kind of right and then I look at what God's saying to Moses and just for a quick review for the context of what Moses is being asked to do, Moses is being asked by God basically to do this. Moses, I want you to leave the safety of witness protection. I want you to give up your livelihood. It's not glamorous, but it's feeding your family. It's keeping your father-in-law happy. I want you to go back to Egypt where you're a fugitive for murder where you violated cultural, political, religious, family, criminal boundaries. I want you to go back. I want you to walk right into the palace of the person who wants you dead. And I want you to tell him, basically, we're going to have a show of power where I embarrass you and make you look bad. And at the end of me making you look bad, a simple shepherd, I'm going to take three million of the people that help your economy actually thrive, all the people that build all your buildings, I'm going to take them. And when I take them, God's actually told me that they're going to rob you all blind. Scripture says that when they're about to go, God's promised that they're going to, he's going to make their neighbors favorable towards them, and they're going to just hand them gold and silver and fine clothing. So in the midst of us leaving with your entire economy, we're going to rob you blind. 
So that's what's going to happen, Pharaoh. Sorry about that. And then God says to Moses, after you do all that, I want you to do something you've never even done before. You've led sheep, but I want you to lead people, about three million of them, into the desert with no food, no water, no schools, no medical facilities, no permanent home. And just kind of go. I'll I'll tell you where. Just kind of go. And it'll be fine. I can be a little harsh with people in the Bible sometimes because I know the story and I'm like, come on, you're so thick-headed, get this. But honestly, doesn't Moses have a legitimate reason to doubt some of this stuff? When he looks at what God's asking, doesn't it seem a little confusing? And I think sometimes our lives are the same. And we look at our, our past and we look at what we've been, been through and what we've done And it sounds a little bit like his. Fugitive is is not all he was, but it kind of defined the first 40. And shepherd, I mean, he was way more than that. He was a husband and father, but that kind of defined the second 40. What else are we to assume other than the last 40 of his life would be defined by the same thing as the first 80? Fugitive plus shepherd equals a failure. And I get that. Here's the issue for me, though, as I studied this scripture as I look at Moses' life, as I identify with him, it dawned on me this week, we're really into math, but we're really into simple addition. And my question for you today, even though I failed algebra the first time, is I wonder if while we're doing addition, God's actually doing algebra. So yeah, fugitive plus shepherd should equal failure, but the problem is all of it has an X factor, which is called I am. And when I am shows up on the scene to the life of a fugitive and shepherd and he takes all of the junk and all of the regret and all the fear and all the insecurity and all the pain and all the anxiety and all the identity crisis and all the stuff he couldn't fix and couldn't change and all the running and all the tapping out and everything in his wake. And he says, yeah, I can use all of that. In fact, I'd be really interested to do that. And I promise you that I'm going to make this happen in a way you can never imagine. And when I think about my own life and I think, well, what about my past? What about my current situation? Could I possibly see God work in that kind of way with me? See, there was always more going on than Moses could see. We could spend a whole week talking about how God used every specific experience that Moses had had to shape him for exactly this moment. But Moses knew none of that. Moses had no idea all that was happening. But there was always a bigger story. And there was always a God who had a bigger plan and a bigger perspective. There was always more going on than Moses could see. And remember, this all started because God came and found Moses. He didn't have it all together. I don't think he had any intention of turning it around and going to Egypt. I don't think Moses ever once thought in the desert, you know what I should do? I should just go right back there and march right into Pharaoh's palace and just tell him what's what. There is no way he had this kind of plan. And I wonder, as God had outlined the plan for him, if he found himself moment by moment as God ticked off each box, saying, oh my goodness, it worked. Oh my goodness, it worked. I can't believe they're coming with me. And then I wonder if there was this moment where Moses found himself Some of you know this story. Red Sea in front of them. Huge body of water. People grumbling and complaining already. Acting like the sheep he had led all through the desert. 
Behind him comes the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh who's changed his mind one more time. And I wonder if it wasn't yet another moment where Moses was saying, Okay, God, are you still here? Are you still with me? Do you still see this? Do you still have genuine concern over what's happening? Because I'm about to put my my staff in the water and you said it's going to happen. Man, you better show up. And as God shows up and yet again allows Moses to walk and to lead boldly with the people following him. I wonder what Moses thought about the simple addition of his life. I wonder if he ever reflected and just thought, how in the world did all of this happen? God, how did you do this? And, and there's two things that, that kind of shocked me with Moses' story near the end of his life. The first is that God did everything he said he was going to do. God used Moses for incredible, incredible things. But the second thing that shocks me, and actually I think gets me more, is Moses with his checkered past, his imperfections, his doubts, his fears, is actually called by God himself a friend of God. It's Moses who's led in on secrets of the kingdom of God so much so that he actually prophesies that Jesus would come. He says to the people, Way before it ever happened, there will be a prophet who will arise amongst you from your very people. Prophesying a rescue that was on a scale that they had never even seen that blew this rescue out of the water. Pointing towards Jesus, the one we could ultimately trust. I am, not just in a moment on a mountain, I am that would come and live with us. Moses isn't just a tool in the hand of God, even though that's impressive. Moses is actually a friend of God, despite every reason why he shouldn't have been. God was genuinely interested in knowing him. And maybe today you find yourself in the heat of a moment kind of situation. You're right in the thick of it. And you need to know some of the stuff that Moses found out. Maybe you're not. Honestly, maybe you look back and you're like, well, I'm kind of out of that. Maybe like Moses, you were actually in the second 40 where you were kind of in this moment where it's kind of predictable and monotonous. It's safe, but almost too safe. Like you're wondering if there's going to be any more adventure, there's going to be any more usefulness in your life, there's going to be anything big that God's put on your heart that he's promised you, and you wonder, maybe that's, maybe that's over. Maybe you spend a good amount of time considering your failure in the future based on failure or hurt in the past. What we learn from Moses' life, though, is that you can't derail God's future. When I am is on the scene, anything is possible. And so I actually kind of wonder. I think the burning bush would have gotten my attention because I told you I'm a pretty simple guy. I'm wandering along. I see a bush on fire that's not burning. I'm going to stop. But I wonder for you in your life, I wonder what it is that would get your attention. I wonder what it is that's going to pop up in your life, maybe even this week, maybe it's been happening for a while. And God's going to say to you, hey, come here for a second. There's a group of people. And they might be across the road, they might be across town, they might be across the ocean. But I'm trying to rescue them. I'm trying to let them know that I see them. I'm trying to let them know that I've heard their cries as they yelled at the sky. I'm trying to let them know that I'm concerned about their suffering. 
and I want you to go. I want you to talk to him. I want your life to have more meaning and purpose than it's had up until this point. I actually want to be your friend in a new way. And I know we have a lot of reasons why that shouldn't happen. But our job, I think, is to say exactly what Moses said. Here I am. And watch as God says, no, 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 no. (laughs) Here I am. I'll be with you. So this week, that's actually how I want to pray with us. I want to pray that God would do just that. And wherever you're at, I just ask that you would, you'd be listening. So would you pray with me? God, I know that if we spent time talking about this, we would have, we would probably have no end to the amount of reasons on our, our list on paper, God, why we're just not the people for the job. And God, some of us are in, in the midst of such intense heat that it's a miracle we showed up this morning. And so God, in our hearts, would you just tell us exactly what you told Moses? That you see us and that you are emotionally moved and affected by what we're going through. And God, some of us, we've been at this for so long, we're not positive if there's anything else you still have left to do. Maybe we, we feel like we missed some opportunities or maybe there was some potential there, but it's been lost. Now we tapped out and we're living a good life, but God, we know there might be more. God, would you give us courage and boldness to just say, yeah, here I am. You got my attention, God. Here's all the reasons why it shouldn't work, but here I am. And God, as we look at our circumstances, I ask that you would give us eyes to see a bigger story. Would you let us see the people that we walk past every day? Would you let us see them new and fresh like we've never seen them before, God? Would you allow us to remember this week that even though the things don't add up in our lives, that you're doing something bigger? God, we ask that you would continue to make this place, this group of people, alive in this area and beyond, a place where you were talked about as a God of hope and a bigger story. And you would help us walk into that just saying simply, here we are. We want to know you more. We want to be used by you in a redemptive way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.